while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Our Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit among us today as we hear your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Three key questions about baptism. Number one, what is baptism? Well, baptism is a picture and a pledge. It's first of all a picture. It's an outward expression of an inner experience, a double experience of washing and oneness. Washing. I wear contact lenses, hard contact lenses. I know you can't see it, but I do. And I regularly, regularly lose one of them on the bathroom floor. Anyone else wear contact lenses here? Uh, I, I, I won't do the technique because I'll probably lose it, but you, you flick them out and they, they fire out of your eye. It's an extraordinary experience and you try and catch them. Sometimes you drop them and then you, and the technique is you have to get a torch and you have to get down on your hands and knees and you have to search every square centimeter of the bathroom floor until finally it glints and you get it. But one of the things that you discover as you're searching the bathroom floor is how incredibly dirty it is. <laughs> you stand up again and it looks perfectly clean. You get down and you, you put your torch on every square centimeter and it is shocking the amount of dirt. I, I suggest you try it when you get home. Get down on your hands and knees and in your bathroom and shine from six inches on your bathroom floor. It will appall you. <laughs> so it is with our hearts. One of the things that God does when we are on the way to becoming a Christian is he shines his light into our hearts and we are shocked and appalled at how much dirt there is in our hearts and how much we need to be washed clean on the inside. And one of the wonderful things when you become a Christian is that the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and cleanses you. He's the holy, purifying spirit. When the Apostle Paul became a Christian, shortly after his amazing Damascus Road experience that you may be familiar with, where he saw Jesus Christ and his brilliance, and it blinded him for a few days. And then this lovely Christian man called Ananias in Damascus was sent to him and was told to tell him what had happened and why God had done this to him. And I think that was the moment that Paul was converted, if you like. And he described later, the Apostle Paul, how he got up when he realized what had happened and he was immediately baptized. And he described it as his baptism as the washing away of his sins as he called on the name of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul knew perfectly well that the baptism itself, the water didn't wash away his sins. It didn't get inside him to cleanse his conscience. That had already happened as the Holy Spirit came upon him, but baptism was the obvious way of expressing outwardly this inner experience, the washing away of sin. 
And if you were listening to Louise when she spoke earlier, how she described, she came to that moment where she realized she was dead in transgression and sins, and she's quoting the Apostle Paul there, that she was dirty and saying, I need to be washed clean. And as she gets baptized in a minute or two, she is saying that, that God has forgiven her sins. She's telling us in this dramatic way that she has had her sins washed away. Because baptism is a picture of that. Washing. It's also a picture of oneness. A oneness with Christ in his death and resurrection. If we ask the question, well, how does Jesus actually wash away sins? How does it work? The answer is through his sacrifice for sins when he died on the cross. When Jesus faced God's righteous judgment in our place and so paid the penalty for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to prove that it had worked, that the price had been paid. And when you become a Christian, the extraordinary thing is that you are treated as if you yourself had died with Christ and risen with him. So in Romans chapter 6, we read this, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And water baptism is a picture of that spiritual oneness with Christ in his death and resurrection, which is what happens when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. They are united with him. And it's as if they had died when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's as if they had risen again from the dead. And it's as if they had ascended to the Father. Their life is hidden with Christ in God, in the heavenlies. It's an extraordinary truth that we wouldn't have worked out, but God tells us that this is what has happened to the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Christian's experience and baptism clearly pictures it because the person baptized goes down into the water, into the, the place of death. If you stay in the water long enough, you will die. And then is brought up to newness of life. Down into the water, dying with Christ, up out of the water, rising with Christ to start a new life. It's a picture of that, of washing and of oneness with Christ. But baptism is not just a picture, it's also a pledge. A pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter described it like this in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 21. He said, baptism is a pledge in good conscience, in good faith, saying, I am committing myself. Now, if you were not born a British citizen and you become a British citizen, you, you go to a ceremony which, in which you are asked to say these words, at least from now on, 
uh, from a few weeks ago, you will be asked to say these words. I, and then you say your name, I swear by Almighty God that on becoming a British citizen, I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors, according to law. That is what you swear. It is an oath of allegiance. And you also pledge your loyalty to the United Kingdom. Well, when you become a citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven, when you become a Christian, you take this oath of allegiance and pledge of loyalty. And that's what baptism is. It is the Christian's oath of allegiance and pledge of loyalty. And it's done in a public ceremony as with becoming a British citizen. So this is a public ceremony. The doors are open. Anyone may come in and witness this so that everyone knows your new allegiance. That's what baptism is. But you say, what if people already know I'm a Christian? Isn't that enough? Well, that brings us on to our second question, which is, why be baptized? Why be baptized? And the main answer to that is because it's a command of Christ. So Jesus' famous last words to the church were Matthew 28, 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said the Lord Jesus. An extraordinary statement, isn't it? What a claim. Therefore, in the light of that, go and make disciples from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And one of the commands to be obeyed by followers of King Jesus is the command to be baptized. So on the day of Pentecost, just seven weeks after Jesus died and rose again, as Peter's preaching to the crowds of Jewish pilgrims who've come up to Jerusalem, and he explains to them they've got it all wrong about Jesus Christ. They should, at one level, never have crucified him. They should have accepted him as the Son of God from heaven. They are cut to the heart and they say, what are we supposed to do? And his response is, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's a command of Christ to be obeyed. That's the main reason why we should be baptized. The second reason is that it brings clarity to the world clarity about who belongs to Christ and his church, who's committed and who's not. Many years ago, I remember when I was still a single man, I remember having my next door neighbors round for dinner. A relatively young couple, they were living together, but I knew they were not married and they knew that I knew that they were not married. And during the course of the evening, at one point, I, we got onto this business of their relationship and, and I asked them straight out, I said, just out of interest, do you see yourselves as committed to one another for life? Well, they answered simultaneously. One said yes, and the other said, 
No. <laughs> of kind of awkward social moments in my life, <laughs> that ranks pretty high. And I still can't remember what I did. I think it was something like, I, who'd like coffee? Um, <laughs> now, the public commitment of marriage clarifies that a couple belong to one another for life. That's what marriage is. And the public commitment of baptism clarifies that a person is pledged to Christ, not just for life but for eternity. It marks out the boundary of God's kingdom in the lives of its citizens. And it's interesting that after Peter's words on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, we read a few verses later in Acts 2, verse 41, that those who accepted his message, it obviously wasn't everybody, but those who, it was a lot, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Added to their number. They knew who they were. Shortly afterwards, they even call a church meeting. And who did they call? Well, the ones who'd been added to their number, the ones who'd been baptized. And come out and declared publicly that they now pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were going to follow him. They were going to put on the shirt. It wasn't a Reading football shirt, but it was a shirt, as it were, saying, I now publicly declare that this is my allegiance. Now, in this country, it doesn't cost you much to do it. You get wet. Um, you might you don't have to say words in front, but you're invited to. Um, it's not a massive cost. You, you might, if you tell your colleagues or neighbors after the weekend, how did your weekend go? Well, something quite interesting happened. I got baptized. Really? And you might just meet indifference in our culture. At worst, you might meet a bit of mockery. It's not a huge price to be paid. But in New Testament times, it was a big price, especially for the Jews. They were supposed to be the clean people. They didn't need to be washed. So if you got baptized in the name of Jesus, that caused a real rumpus. As in many parts of the world today, there are countries, countries like, say, Afghanistan, where if you get baptized as a believer, it's likely to need, lead not just to persecution, but to death. There's a cost to following. So to recap, what is baptism? It's a picture of washing and of oneness with Christ. It's a pledge of allegiance to him and his kingdom. Why be baptized? Well, first and foremost, it's the command of Christ, not a mere recommendation. It clarifies who belongs to Christ and his church. Third and last, who is baptism for? And the answer is very simple. It's for followers of Jesus Christ. That's who it's for. Jesus said, as we read earlier, go and make disciples from all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing who? Disciples. How does one become a disciple then, a follower of Jesus? Well, in Acts 14, 21, 
Dr. Luke describes what happened when Paul and Co. were preaching one day in a particular city. And he says, when they had preached the good news to that city and had made many disciples, which I think is a very interesting phrase, isn't it? When they had preached the good news to that city and had made many disciples. Preaching the good news is the way to make disciples. As you explain the great news about Jesus Christ, who he is and why he's come, and that simply through faith in him, and no religious performance, no track record of being a good person or a religious person, nothing like that contributes a single jot or tittle to salvation. You just put your trust in what Christ has done. As you explain that to people, and people think, yes, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and convinces them, then they become followers. So if you ask the question, well, how does the good news of Jesus make disciples? Paul describes it this way in Romans 1.16. He says, it is the power, this is talking about the message, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God at work. So when you preach the gospel and explain the good news to people, two things are happening. One, someone hears the good news about Jesus and believes it, they receive it, they accept it. I think Louise used that expression, didn't she, about receiving the message. So that's from our point of view. You know, if you're listening today, and maybe for the first time, the penny is beginning to drop as to exactly what Jesus did, what it means to trust him and to be saved. Well, you're hearing the good news and, and believing it, maybe. But it's not just that. Did you notice Paul said it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So it's not just that we believe something, it's that God is at work powerfully to bring salvation to the person who hears and believes. It's a work of God. So what we're hearing in Louise's life is not just something Louise has done, it's not really something that Louise has done at all. It's God who has done a work in her life. It's his power at work through the message. And if you're listening to this and hearing it, maybe God is at work powerfully in your life, persuading you that this is true, and that what Louise is about to do is something you should do. And not just talking about the baptism, but talking about her faith in the Lord, her realization that the emptiness of life can only be filled from one source, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may take years for the penny to drop, and maybe this is something you've kind of heard about for a long time, Louise was brought up in a Christian home, but it wasn't until many years later that finally the penny dropped. And maybe the penny is dropping with you. Now, it's a message to be heard and believed. A baby cannot hear the message of Jesus and believe it, and that's why we don't baptize babies. Though we're very thankful to God for the gift of a new baby, we rejoice with the Bugses here on the gift of Elizabeth Sinclair. And I don't know, Richard, if you're planning on a Thanksgiving, but if you are, we, we will rejoice with you. But we don't baptize babies because baptism is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who have turned from living for themselves and from their sins and put their trust entirely in Jesus and his death and resurrection. Baptism follows faith. 
And as you read the story of the early church, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles, time and again it's made clear they believed and were baptized in that order. So our reading from Acts 10 earlier that Linda read for us, where Peter explains the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord of all, to the Roman soldier Cornelius and his household. This is what we read in, in Acts 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish believers who'd come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, that's foreign languages that they'd never learned. This was a miraculous thing, just like on the day of Pentecost. And here it is happening with the Gentiles. And they were praising God. And then you see Peter's response. Then Peter declared, when he saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in the hearers, he said, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people? who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He saw that they'd received the Holy Spirit, all of them. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So all of them had come to believe in Jesus and received the forgiveness of sins and a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Or to put it in our language, they had become Christians. So he ordered that they should be baptized. Now, where does this leave you? Well, let me suggest that there are three kinds of people here this morning in this auditorium. The first kind of person, and maybe this is you, is someone who is already a believer who has been baptized. baptized as a believer. Now, as Louise is baptized in a minute or two, I want you to think back to your own baptism. Maybe a long time ago. It is for me. I was 19 when I was, when I was baptized, but I, I remember it so clearly. Think back and rejoice in that event. And don't just rejoice in it as a past event, but remember that, that baptism is supposed to be a picture not just of having become a Christian, but of having started a new life, that you may walk in newness of life. And so determine afresh that with God's enabling, you will walk in fellowship with Father and Son and other believers in the local church, that you will keep going to the end and keep serving the Lord and growing in your faith and turning away from sin and towards the Lord day in, day out, that that new life is yours and will continue. So that's the first category. Maybe you're a believer who's already been baptized as a believer. Then rejoice afresh with Louise today. 
and reapply it to yourself. Just like when you go to a wedding, if you're married and you hear those vows again, you think, yes, that's what I should be doing. I'm going to recommit myself to my marriage today at this wedding. Second kind of person here, and maybe this is you. You're someone who's already a believer, but you've never been baptized as a believer. Well, I want you to think of Jesus' command to be baptized. And I want you to reflect on these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus from John 14, when he was teaching his disciples just the night before he died. And he said these words. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and will, we, Father and Son, will come to them and make our home with them. Wow! You mean my life can be a place where the Father, Father God, and the Son of God dwell? Well, when you become a Christian, that is what happens. Because obedience to Christ is the key to fellowship with God. And let me encourage you to keep obeying the Lord to the end. And I hope that I, as a Christian, as I go through my life and continue to walk with the Lord, that there are areas where the Lord picks me up, as it were, and points out things in my life where, John, you're not obeying me here. Would you please do something about it? that my heart will be soft to that and that I will say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I will gladly obey you. Please give me the strength so to do. And let me say, if you're in this category of someone who's a believer but never been baptized as a believer, don't let having been baptized as a baby stop you. Don't let the passing of years stop you. And you think, well, I became a Christian so long ago, it would make no point to get baptized. It would make no sense to get baptized. Now, yes, it would. It really would. And don't let this one stop you, which I, I've heard many times over the years, but I don't feel ready for baptism. Well, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus? Well, yes. Well, you don't have to achieve a certain standard. This is not saying that Louise is now a kind of grade A Christian. This is just saying she's a Christian. So don't let the fact that you don't feel yourself a particularly good Christian or something like that stop you from presenting yourself for baptism. Maybe you say, well, I'm, I, I'm too young. Well, this is an interesting one. Let me just give you my rule of thumb on this one. And you teenagers here who stayed in, just listen up at this point, okay? It's a wisdom call. We have discussions, we've had discussions on the elders. You know, what, is the, what do you think the minimum age for baptism should be? Well, let, let me give you my rule of thumb and why I come to it. As I've observed children over the years, and our own three who've grown up, as you go into your teens, you know, sort of 12, 13, 14, you generally believe what your parents have taught you. Now, you might be a particularly rebellious kid, and have already kicked over the traces and thrown off what your parents believe. But most kids of 12, 13, 14, their worldview is shaped by their parents. But come the sort of 14, 15 stage of life, are you a 14, 15-year-old this morning? 
there comes a time where you start to think, why should I believe it just because my parents believe it? And you start to question everything. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. That's a good thing. And it seems to me that as you come out of your teens rather than as you go into your teens, that's the time where it begins to become clear whether these beliefs that you now hold as you come through into the later years of your teens, whether those really are your beliefs that are going to hold for the rest of your days rather than just being inherited beliefs. You've questioned everything and now you're coming through the other side, as it were. So, how does that cash out? Well, for me, I'm looking around 16 plus. There, I've given you the figure. Uh, so if you're 16 plus in your, the youth group here at, at Duke Street and you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, what's stopping you from getting baptized? So second category, already a believer but never baptized as a believer. Third category, and we're nearly there. You're someone who's not yet a believer. As you've been listening to this, as you've been hearing the songs, hearing the readings, the prayers and everything, there's a, you're, you're kind of a detached observer. You're thinking, well, I'm not sorry I'm here necessarily, but this is not my scene. I, I don't really belong here. Or at least you know you're not a believer yet, as Louise is a believer, as you suspect most of the people in this room are. Well, let me, let me suggest this to you. As you watch Louise being baptized, think about your own need to have your sins washed away and forgiven. As she goes down into the water and rises again, think about how you could begin a new life in Christ, all the emptiness removed and filled with Christ the things that don't satisfy, everything else in this world that you taste it and you try it and yet you know it doesn't satisfy you, Christ will satisfy. And there's a world to come which is beyond our wildest dreams. And why not consider turning to him today? Because all you need to do is turn from living for yourself and put your trust entirely in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Everyone who believes in him, in the Lord Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell 